Hey, welcome back to episode 13 of the Waking Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Joe. And we are your hosts. Today we're joined by Andrew Lai. He's a photographer, urban explorer, and has currently graduated from the University of Washington. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thanks, guys. <laughs> How you doing, man? Doing okay. Um, yeah, just spending time at home. Um, yeah, I guess slowly as things are starting to open up, I've been um, slowly hanging out with some more friends, seeing people, um, giving people calls when I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're, and you're, when you're talking about home, you're talking about like, are you talking about like home home? Are you talking about um, back in like Seattle? Um, yeah, I guess I, I split my time um, home home back on the east side um, with my um, parents, but also I have an apartment in Seattle. I actually spend most of my time here. I think it's nice kind of to drop back and forth just to have time with family, but also have um, time spending by myself too. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm a little bit more productive too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for you, like, has been hanging out with people now, like, has there been like a change in vibes or anything like that just because of like this whole quarantine thing or like has things been just relatively normal? Um, I think def- definitely people are a lot more conscious of kind of like just bigger groups, um, what they do, kind of the interactions I think they're doing um, with other people. Um, but I think it's also been like a pretty cool time because I think it's a chance to really be intentional with people just because I think everyone kind of has an excuse of like, oh, you know, if you don't want to hang out or like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's there's a lot of excuses that you can say if you don't want to spend time with someone. Um, and also, I think in a time in which you don't see people on a normal basis, whether it be school or work or um, hang out with people in fellowships or different outings and groups, um, it's a cool way to kind of like show that you are still thinking about people that you still care about people and like you still want to be a part of their lives um so i think in that sense i think just like calling people kind of out of the blue or calling people or setting up calls has been a little bit more normalized yeah especially with zoom and all of that like i don't know for me i feel like zoom is just a little weird like this is not as weird but like when someone's like hey you want to just get on zoom and talk like i don't know i feel like zoom's like one of those like professional like services <laughs> and you use it for like coworkers. you don't really use it just for like friends um so for me like i feel like if someone asked me like oh you want to facetime or something like that's a little more like casual side i don't know i feel like zoom's a little more formal yeah i i think actually i still use the terminology like skype even though like no one uses skype anymore uh, i know people use discord actually i feel like connection on discord is also sometimes a little bit better um i i don't play games anymore but uh <laughs> th- yeah people use that or like facebook call and a lot of other things but yeah zoom does kind of feel like a meeting or you're in class or something else yeah and i mean me and joe know you but for people that may not know you as well or may have just met you like during your time in college like i would say you weren't really affiliated with like a specific college ministry like would you say that as well um, yeah, I would say for the most part, I think my time in college has been kind of all over. Um, I am a huge proponent of, I think, this idea of like, <laughs> like kind of never growing up or like kind of, I think the mindset that I always tell people is like, oh yeah, I'm a freshman, like freshman forever. Um, I don't know. I think it just like keeps things like a lot more alive and like definitely pushes you out of your comfort zone um, in a lot of times I think a lot of people as they get older they become jaded or as they become upperclassmen they kind of like oh you know I'm too old for this I'm too old to go to dog days I'm too old to like deal with those things I think they get very comfortable with their communities and the groups of people that they're 
spending time with and they kind of stop meeting anyone new. Um, but I don't know. I think one of the things that about me is that I really love people. I love spending time with people. I think relationships are definitely really high up in terms of just priorities. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's kind of led to me bouncing around a whole bunch. Um, I think kind of figuring out a lot of things too. Um, yeah, I think just kind of where I saw myself and I think what is the best way in which I could serve other people, help other people, I think befriend other people. Um, so it's kind of like led me all over. Um, a lot of groups, a lot of campus, a lot of RSOs, a lot of fellowships too. That being said, like I know like as a freshman coming in, like a lot of uh, like a common piece of advice they give is like, oh, you should just like commit to like one or two groups. And I know it's like not shared by everyone because I, I uh, know like a few friends. If you don't know, like Ryan in ACF, mm, uh-huh. I remember, like he told me a, a like a large part of him like not really like going to uh, like not committing to one is because someone told him that he couldn't do it, so he like decided yeah. to prove him wrong. Um, like, what do you have to say to like that advice? And uh, if there's like something you discovered while like I guess going to all these fellowships, is there like yeah. anything you would like to share? Um, I think I actually really value commitment a lot. Um, I think saying no to certain things also means saying yes to others. Um, I think like for example, I think one thing that I have really like stuck through with, and I think really made commitments to, is um, church. And I think that was something that I like ever since I started going, kind of like going to um, Faith Bible Church, the church I started going to, and um, kind of like the end of freshman year. Um, that was kind of one of the churches and one of the ministries, fellowships, or communities that I really stuck through with and, like, through all these years and even, like, still, like, post-grad and, like, in this kind of weird time that I've been going out to. Um, I think, actually, commitment is pretty important. Um, actually, I feel like this generation and, like, me included, I think commitment is something that's really hard. Um, part of it I think I've heard is, like, oh, you know, commitment, it's almost like people are afraid that if I commit to something, something else might be coming that will be better than what I'm committing to right now and that's kind of a scary feeling I think we always in a society and a group that we have so many choices that all these choices it sometimes paralyzes us instead of liberates us um that it's hard for us to really like choose to do something and really like stick through with that um but I think it's been pretty cool I think where my commitments lie I think it's less in terms of fellowship where I think the bigger picture there's like I think a lot of other like asterisks and like the reasons why that happened but I think <laughs> my commitment to people I think is something that I value a lot so I think even though that I wasn't necessarily committed a lot of time to go into one specific fellowship all four years of college I think there would be people in which that I would make time and intentionally really get to know throughout these four years that I think is kind of I would consider still my community so like brothers and sisters that I can share faith with, that I can um, be able to like go deep and also um, really get to know and I think grow in our relationships um, instead of just to catch up with each other. Yeah, and I think when we define commitment, like a lot of it, people would interpret that as like, you know, kind of staying in one place and just like growing within that environment. But like, I like how you said that it's about you know, being committed to people, not necessarily like a setting, but it's more like about the person um, themselves. And I think for me, sometimes when I commit and I'm like in one setting a lot, there's a sense of like boredom. Cause like, I feel like you're like in one setting a lot and there's a lot um, of a desire to like want to either check something out or 
uh, find like different people just so there's like more variety. And so I guess like for you who decides to kind of bounce around sometimes, like is it because of boredom or is it because like there's something that maybe you would learn from just like being in different groups? Um, I don't know about maybe boredom. I think I definitely hear you when you say like, oh, you know, like you want to see like FOMO is like so real. You know, you always see events or people or friends and you want to hang out with them. You want to spend time with them. And so like part of that, you know, I'm the type of guy that if there's an event like six to like seven thirty and another event from seven to like nine, I'm going to be the one that's going to try to go to both. Um, and homework is the thing that's kind of like pushed off <laughs> to the side or like other things that are not important. That's usually what takes the brunt of it. Um, I don't know. I think part of, I think a big drive too. um, if you're familiar with, um, the musical Hamilton, I think Hamilton is actually someone that I characterize myself. I think I see a lot of similarities between like me and him. Um, I think I'm not really easily satisfied, um, which I think is also, yeah, I think it can be a weakness and a strength. Um, but I think a weakness in the sense of like, oh, you know, I think when I'm like bouncing around to all those different places, I always want the next thing. I always want to meet more people. I will always want to be talking with more people. I always want to be spending more time with people, learning more and growing. Um, and I think that's kind of really been like the big reason in which I think I've <laughs> bounced around a lot and tried to like get everything at the same time. Um, yeah, but I think learned a lot of lessons. I don't think I did that was necessarily the best way to go through college. I think um, my junior year, I think, um, took a year off school, actually. And really, that was kind of like the part in which I had to reassess kind of like, what was it? Why was I doing the things that I was doing? Um, I think it was a chance in which I really learned about rest. I really learned about, I think, really just slowing down my life. I think really taking a a real Sabbath um, and really just slowing things down and making priorities for myself. Yeah, because like taking... A gap year uh, for people that know Andrew took a gap year to go to Japan and basically explore his faith and just like learn more about kind of the Christian culture there in Japan and I was wondering uh, we asked Candace this before and I wanted to ask you as well so for you that did go to Japan for like a year how would you um, compare and contrast the Christian culture in the United States and Japan hmm I think it's definitely different. Um, I think I also kind of put the disclaimer out there that I only spent three months in Japan. I mean, other than like shorter trips. So I think my exposure to it is, I think, a pretty small part of like the bigger picture. Um, But when I went, I actually went with a mission organization called Send International. Um, And kind of the whole model of it was I was being discipled by an older missionary couple, uh, Ron and Carolyn Hardy. Um, and they would kind of pour into my life and I would learn from them, um, life on life. And so we'd do everything with them, see their ministry, um, cook with them, eat with them, um, live in the same house, of course, and really just learn, I think, from the Bible, but also just like life skills. Um, and so, of course, we'd go to the same church and we would get to know the same people and get to know different people in different ministries. Um, and so I think that's kind of like the perspective that I had. Um, and in that time, I think, the church that we went to, honestly, it was pretty traditional. It was very kind of like they were only singing hymns. It was a majority of, I think, older, like 50 years and older, um, a lot less youth that was there. Um, so I think compared to like, I think a lot more Western churches, I think there's definitely kind of feels like, oh, you know, this kind of feels a little bit more traditional. There's a lot more 
rhythm to it. It's you don't really see a lot of the contemporary songs. It's all hymns and all of those different things. Um, but at the same time, I think there's two sides too. I think I also had a chance to help out in um, a youth group that was um, located in downtown Tokyo in Shibuya. Um, and that was really cool. I think that was one of the things that I realized I was really excited for, just youth ministry. Um, just seeing high schoolers and coming together from all over like the city of Tokyo, from lots of different schools, from lots of different backgrounds and places that they'd all come together and worship God. Um, and yeah, and I do believe there's a lot going on in Japan right now um, that is still under 1% Christian. Um, uh, it's interesting because there's been so many, like, like Christianity has been in Japan for so long, but yeah, I think it hasn't really exploded like places like Korea or even like China recently, Hong Kong. Um, it's still pretty unchurched and unreached at this point. Yeah, I thought it was like pretty interesting when uh, when I was in high school and I was hearing that like you were doing like a mission trip to Japan, because like at first instinct you don't think Japan's like a place where most people would like do like a really long mission trip because it's like a first world country, right? It's so developed, mm-hmm. but then you start doing some research and it's like oh they're like there's basically like no Christians there. It's like mostly Shintoism and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty inspiring how like you went there and was able to experience just like being in Japan and like learning from people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also heard, um, I guess like when I first, uh, when Candice was talking about this, she said a lot of it was in Japan, like even though there's under like 1% of Christians there that she could tell like each person that was a Christian there was like really passionate and you could tell like you could just see it whereas in america like it's kind of in our society to like just kind of go to church and it's kind of like well your parent my parents told me to go to church today so i'm just gonna go but then like Mm -hmm. when you observe like the nature there um you can see that some people are like just checked out or some people you can tell like people are there more out of obligation than out of like the desire to go like do you see anything Mm -hmm. um resemblances like that I think I did. Um, so actually the area that I was around and kind of um, living in was around Higashi Kurume. So it was actually, it was pretty heavily churched in the sense of there's a lot of missionary kids, a lot of MKs, a lot of PKs, so pastors, kids, and missionary kids that would um, go to a school called um, CAJ, this Christian Academy in Japan. Um, so kind of like coming from that context, there were, there were there's, I, I think in almost every country, I think, um, there are some people in which kind of grew up in the church and kind of are going through the motions. You can kind of say like lukewarm. Um, I think I didn't really have a chance to, I mean, three months is not a ton of time. Uh, <laughs> it's hard, hard to make like a character call on, on specific people. Um, but yeah, I think that's also something that I think um, did come up. I think you do see kind of individuals that are really passionate and they really love like Christ and they're willing to give up their lives for for the nation of Japan. Um, But I think also on the other side too, I think um, there are some people that are still going to things through the motions. A lot of them because their parents are pastors or their mom is a missionary that they're here in Japan and that's the only reason that they go to church and go to all those different things. Um, Yeah, it's definitely, I think Japan is a hard place to be. Um, I think spirituality, I think is just something that's not super touched on a ton. Um, I think even like with when it comes to Shintoism, a lot of it is very, it's tradition, right? I think a lot of people see 
Shintoism less of a religion, but more of kind of cultural lifestyle. And which, oh, you know, we go to the shrines, not because we actually believe in this thing, but because, oh, this is what we always do. And we go present our babies here, like at this time, we go wash our hands at this time, we ring the bell, donate money, not necessarily because we believe in these like spirits, um, but because it's been so ingrained into culture and society. Yeah, and I've heard that like Japan's like a really, and like when you talk about Shintoism, it's like, I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily like, yeah, like you said, like don't necessarily like believe in that like religious wise, but it's like, um, I've heard that it's a lot of like atheism. It's more like atheism where it's like no one really mm. believes in anything and no one feels like hatred. Like it's more like just an indifference towards like religion in general. And so, mm. um, and so like when people say like, you can tell that, um, Christians in Japan are like really passionate. Like, I feel like that would just make a lot of sense because for those people that like discovered that it's probably not necessarily mm. from a familial aspect per se, but it's more like, Oh, I discovered this on my own. And I think like for people mm. like us, um, religion was kind of just ingrained because of our like family. But then like mm. you, sometimes you hear like a lot of college students who start seeing like, Oh, I, once I started to explore like what, religion really was or like christianity was specifically then they start realizing like why um this is like a lifestyle for them yeah yeah no i think i that's something that is definitely pretty interesting i think i totally agree with that idea that i think like spirituality or just going to churches it's not something that is a norm over in japan um I think definitely things like education, things like, oh, job and money and sex and all, a lot of other things, I think that's kind of seen as like, oh, this is what it means to live. This is the purpose of life. Um, and I don't know, I think there's just a little bit less notion of that in about churches and like, oh, this is the reason for why things are. Like, I know there's a lot of like cultural differences that like, like affect like, um, spirituality in japan like i know mm. like work culture there is really big and how like everything there is more formal is there any like mm. major differences or like culture shock you kind of realize like after spending so much time in like american like culture especially in like churches and stuff that like you've noticed when you came to japan that like really stood out to you um so I think with Japan, um, this wasn't my first time going. I've been multiple times before. And I think because I kind of, I, I, I don't know about growing up studying Japanese, but I started studying Japanese in eighth grade. That's when I started and kind of like Japanese, Japanese culture, um, kind of like going to Japan for various either study abroad or like trips there. I've been pretty accustomed to the culture. So I think although nothing was a huge culture shock in terms of, wow, this is so different. I think one of the biggest things that I think I noticed was I think after like the first two or three weeks that you spend there, I think kind of like the initial like hype of everything like kind of dies down. You realize, oh, hey, you know, I'm here in Japan. Like it's no longer a huge deal to be eating ramen like at 2 a.m. at night or like <laughs> going out and like, oh, you know, see anime everywhere and people actually talking Japanese with no subtitles. Like <laughs> that, that, that's kind of memes a little bit. But um, I think something I noticed is that I think also, a lot of things that you don't notice and you don't see about society really start to come up. I think in places like America, I think, for example, like homelessness, that's something you like, you see kind of like the first 
couple days like anyone that comes to america walks through like seattle for example new york at least at any of the big cities they see homelessness as a huge problem um i think a lot of things in japan it's a lot a lot more like kind of hush hush you don't really see everything until you really spend time there and not just spend time there but really get to know the people and get to know the language um and i think like things that surprised me i think was i think even like maybe like a month in i was in I witnessed kind of like the first time a, like a train stopped because of a suicide and I, I didn't even know what the reason was because it wasn't in English it was all in Japanese and like if you're a tourist there you probably wouldn't have even known exactly why the train stopped um but it's I think things like that I think um if you're familiar with kind of like some of the statistics in Japan but there's actually a really high suicide rate especially in the youth um prostitution and kind of like the whole red light district in japan is something that usually people don't really hear a lot about you kind of hear what media kind of talks about you know anime is a really big trend japanese food you know like matcha and like ph- photography spots in japan um that's kind of like the things that you see but i think because i understand the language and the culture and i think as i slowly start to spend a lot more time there i think i also realize i think a lot of the issues that I think not just Japan right but I think a lot of other countries also deal with and a lot of things that are kind of like under the covers that I think you really have to understand the culture of Japan before you really start seeing those things um and even I think even leading back to like oh you know why Japan why did I choose Japan to go to Japan why did I spend so much time investing in kind of like Japan is because of one of these things that really broke my heart of seeing all these things happen And wow, you know, there is so much brokenness and there is so much hurt. And there is, I think for me, like really seeing a lack of hope um, that here in like America, you know, like you kind of most people, I would say like maybe 90 to 95 percent of people, whether they believe it or not, have heard of Jesus. They've heard of churches. They've heard of kind of like the gospel to a certain degree, um, some more than others, of course. Um, and, you know, some of them have accepted Jesus and some of them are Christian, but a good majority of them aren't um but i think in japan it's kind of like that opposite of most people actually haven't heard of jesus or if they've heard of jesus it's it's a very kind of like oh this idea of like kind of oh he's just a western he's a western guy you know he's this is a western religion this is like jesus is like kind of like a american thing that it's not really a japanese thing there's no context it's just a story um and i think that idea of just like oh you know they don't really understand that jesus is someone that's seen as really god and not just one of the gods of kind of Shintoism of just like many, many gods, but he is the one and only true God. Um, and yeah, I think just that idea of hope is something that is hard to find in Japan. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I think really I noticed, I think during my three months there. Um, and that's something I think that really stuck out to me. Okay. Then um, I guess like I want to kind of go on that point because why do you think, um, Japan's like people in Japan like why do you think that their depiction of Jesus is like so different from like what Americans know him as is it like is there like some history back um, to that or is there is it just something else like where's the difference in that um actually I don't know if I'm the best person to ask for this uh, <laughs> I, I I think there's a lot of reasons that I can think of that might be why this is the case um, but I think it's it's a really big question i think a lot of people have been asking um i think just like the whole spiritual state the spiritual yeah i think a spiritual state of a country i think is really hard to kind of overgeneralize or it's really easy to overgeneralize um i think 
part of it, I think, is to do with history. I think kind of the way that um, in the 1800s with Matthew Perry, kind of like gunboat diplomacy, this kind of gets more into the weeds of kind of the history of everything that happened, but kind of Christianity was very forced upon Japan. Um, and kind of, oh, you know, missionaries would come and basically similar, I think, to the Crusades of like, oh, you have to believe this, otherwise, like, you're going to die. <laughs> um, that that might have contributed to kind of like, I think maybe the animosity of things that um, are going on right now in Japan. Oh, there was this one movie. Um, There's this one movie about um, Japanese missionaries. I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, about persecution. Shoot. Um... I don't know. If, if, if it comes back to me, then I, I, I will mention it. But um, there have been a lot of stories of why that's the case in Japan. Um, but also, I think it's also just a challenge of first world nations and how they deal with religion and Christianity. And I think you kind of see this trend of even with America, right? I think as we become more economically stable, as we kind of become on kind of like the top, we don't really need anything anymore. Um, we kind of also, I think there's that idea of like, oh, why do we need God? Why do we need salvation? Why do we need a savior? Why do we need someone? And I think we don't realize those things when we can provide for our kind of like earthly comforts for ourselves. We can feed ourselves. We can have kids. We can be happy. We can enjoy ourselves. We can kind of divulge in kind of like our own pleasures and the only own things that we want to do. Um, I think that's also kind of led to the kind of this lack of spirituality of like, oh, you know, why is there a need for God? Um, when in a sense like oh we can kind of be our own gods yeah just because like like you said like in first world countries like when uh, i think for like humans like us like we're really captured by like what's happening right in front of us or just like kind of like the short-term thing but for like like for example just with like money or um wealth you know that type of like happiness i guess whereas like for us like christians like we're always thinking about like the end goal, which is like living an eternal life in heaven. And I think, yeah, just like you said, like with Japan and the United States, with that lack of spirituality, it's a lot of, well, why do I need to believe in something that um, when I'm living fine right now, you know, when I'm living like a comfortable life. And I think that's why like in third world countries like Africa or whatever, sometimes you see um, a more like heightened spirituality or like you see more hope in God because in reality, like that's probably all they like really, really have. Like, um, and so it's like when you have a hope like that, then obviously I think as a community, like you come together a little bit more. Whereas like, I feel like in mm. first world countries, it's all about like helping ourselves and not really like mm. looking out for the community. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think I totally agree. I think that's something that you kind of see as a trend as um, countries kind of get richer and kind of get more comfortable, quote unquote, right? I think it's easier to kind of lose focus of, of what's really important. Yeah, and I think one big aspect that I see that is like homelessness. Like when we see homeless people, mm -hmm. um, like our first instinct is like disregard them or to be like, oh, they want our money for something like bad. You know, when in reality, I mean, I mean, I'm not disregarding that. Like, I feel like that's a valid concern, but at the same time, it's like not necessarily like everyone's um, looking for that, you know? Mm. And I think for us, if we just like, like, I don't know, like when you feel like you're ignored, 
like for us like when someone like ignores us like i don't know like that stings a little bit inside of you because you're like dang that person just like kind of disregarded me and i think for like a homeless person they almost have to be like numb to the idea that i'm probably going to be ignored but i'm just going to do what i can because that's all i have to do that's all i can that's all i can do mm-hmm. yeah and i think like for you um you actually like seek out those opportunities like do you remember when we um try to encounter like those homeless people on the app <laughs> yeah i remember that my <laughs> <laughs> bad too because i think that first yeah, experience like, was kind of rough <laughs> yeah like um i don't know like for me i thought it was like pretty intimidating because like i remember when you went up to the um the person with like a cart and they were just kind of like telling you to like get away from them like, uh-huh and I was just like, whoa, like, that's kind of crazy. So, like, for you, like, I know you like to seek out those type of people sometimes. I know you've done things where you've kind of, like, reached out to them. Um, like, can you can you just, like, elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, funny you mentioned it. It was, like, right by Jack in the Box. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good times. Stab good times. in the box, baby. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, so, actually, it was pretty cool, I think homelessness and I think like homeless outreach it wasn't actually something that I put too much thought into until really I think my sophomore year of of college it was actually pretty cool but um I worked at um Misun Pastry actually um kind of like just part-time and then at, at the end of the day they would have a whole bunch of like pastries and then so I would always like eat them because I love free food that's like a great thing but then after you work there and you work enough closing shifts, it's just, like, way too much food that it's, like, oh, you know, I just can't eat all of this food. Um, and then so I'd take it and usually give it to my roommates or something like that. But a lot of times, like, they wouldn't even want it just because it's, like, 12 a.m. at night. Uh, but so I think I kind of, like, took that idea of kind of, like, oh, you know, like, who else could use this? So on my way, kind of, like, walking back from work all the way back home, it was about, like, maybe a seven-minute walk up the Ave. Um, I kind of used that opportunity to kind of, like, pass out food um, to kind of like whoever really needed it um, and I think that's kind of like really what started me kind of like getting involved with kind of like oh getting to know actually like a good number of people that are on the Ave um, and kind of like the homeless youth population and kind of like just homeless the homeless that were in that area um, and up till I think junior year I think was one of the really big times in which I actually had a chance to intern with um, a group called Street Youth Ministries um, they're partnered with a church in um, University District area, but um, I basically was an intern and I worked with kind of like the homeless services around that area. And I think that was like kind of my real first time in which I really got to know like really everything that's going on. So I think getting connected with all of the services that like honestly I had no idea, like Roots Homeless Shelter, the food bank um, up on I think like 50th, um, 52nd, um, and also I think a lot of the different services that in the library, for example, street youth ministries, um, teen feed, a lot of these services that were open and basically would help youth and kind of underprivileged people kind of get back on their feet. Um, and that was, I think, really cool because I think just being with someone and being with organizations that have been in kind of this area and with these, dem- with these people for a lot longer than I have, it was a really cool chance to, I think, yeah, just learn about what homelessness was and like why homelessness and how it happens and I think the best ways to dialogue and really what it looks like to not just like temporary help like help people for a temporary amount of time but I think really long term and really get people back on their feet yeah I kind of uh, relate to your experience too because um, I remember when I uh, first like did like um, uh, I helped with like homeless stuff with mm. UGM uh, the 
Union Gospel Mission. Um, and it was, like, only until then where I noticed that, like, like, I feel like for a lot of people, homeless, homelessness is, like, something we don't like to tackle. Like, it's very uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, like, so out of our world, right? But, like, these people also need help. Um, and, like, you being there to serve is, like, a really good and, like, like faithful thing. But that being said, like, do you have any advice for, like, students like around our age that like you would give to encourage them to like serve in homeless ministry or just like try it out or is there something like you like uh think should be like a valuable thing to take away from this yeah i think a couple things that i think i found that would be pretty helpful i think when it comes to i think just getting your feet wet or kind of going into kind of like this ministry and kind of just really understanding and learning to understand homelessness is I think something I've tried to do is making eye contact. Um, I think it's always kind of awkward, right? I think if you've been around Seattle area, if you live in U District area, you almost kind of get desensitized to the homelessness that you see every single day. Like you walk up the Ave to grab dinner or you walk up the Ave to like go meet a friend and then walk back home. You probably pass like tons of homeless people and you just kind of ignore them. You kind of, yeah, you kind of just forget that they're there. Um, I think something that I've learned is that I think just this idea of making people feel heard um, even though you n- don't necessarily have like a hundred bucks to give them or like money to give them every single time, I think is something that number one, I think just like makes you more aware of just kind of seeing the homelessness, seeing kind of like quote unquote like invisible people. It's like, oh, you know, we always kind of like know that they're there, but we never really see them. Um, and I think another big thing I think is just to to get involved. Um, I think I totally understand, like, I think if you're a college age or I think you're not in a financial place in which, oh, you know, you can afford to give, like, $5 to every single person or, like, buy a meal for every single person on the street. Um, I think the biggest thing, I think, for me is also just education and just learning what it means to serve and learning, I think, being more comfortable with these situations. And I think a lot of it's like, oh, you know, you won't, like, the best time to start is now and the best opportunities is to kind of get your feet wet with other people that have kind of been involved with these ministries for, I think, longer than you have. So, yeah, if that's helping out at, like, UGM, um, kind of, as you mentioned, or even grabbing, like, a bunch of friends together, or at least a couple of friends and, like, doing care packages and handing things out, I think um, I think that's something that I think is pretty practical that I think, yeah, I think is a pretty cool way to get your feet wet. Yeah, and... I just I, I kind of want to piggyback on like that first time we were like interacting just because I remember that day like I guess like for myself um I don't necessarily like want to avoid like homeless people but I think mm. part of it is like um how are they going to receive me mm. and I think my expectations that day were like set a little bit too high because Sometimes, like, on YouTube, you see a lot of, like, videos about, like, homeless people, like, speaking about, like, their story. And, like, mm. and I think it really opened my eyes to see, like, how much they use that time to kind of just reflect on, like, what's happened in their lives. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, like, we don't really get the opportunity to hear those just because either, one, we ignore them or, two, like, we don't know necessarily, like, how they're going to receive us. Like, do you have any... Um, tips on like how to really approach a homeless person or is it just like any other person um i think like it is actually pretty good advice to kind of like oh you know just treat them like i I think i've heard this vein of thought of oh you know just like treat them like any other person you know you don't need to like 
like ask them like weird questions or like assume that they're completely uneducated or like anything like that. I think a lot of homelessness is actually not because of I think a common misnomer. Oh, because they are super heavy drug users. Oh, because like they chose homelessness and that's the reason why. I think a good amount of homelessness is also people that have been escaping like domestic abuse. Right, people that have just simply fallen on hard times, like coronavirus, for example, you know, put a lot of people out of jobs. Um, a lot of things, times, it's not really the reason why that they're homeless. Um, I think a lot of times they they seek to be heard. Um, kind of going back to kind of what we have been talking about before, but I think a lot of homelessness they kind of feel invisible. Um, a lot of people kind of just ignore them. They never really get a chance to express themselves to really be heard.、Um, But I think at the same time, I think when we're talking with them, I think of course like treating them like people, treating them like people of dignity, and really treating them like that, you know. So it's like, oh, you know, I think sometimes it's weird, like, oh, it's weird to like shake their hands, it's weird to like do those things. And I think that's kind of like up to you and kind of like how comfortable you feel about it. And I'm not saying like, oh, you know, just do whatever, even though it's an unsafe position. It's hard to generalize everything. Definitely like use common sense, you know, go in a. At least, like another person, if that's something that you're really afraid of,、um, and kind of make sure that they're in a good place and they're not on something at that point.、Um, but I think something that I think has helped me a lot too, I think, is that arming my own expectations with I am not like a savior, or you know, I think a lot of times. <laughs> Because we are like kind of quote unquote like better well off right in terms of economically or maybe even like we feel like spiritually we know Jesus they don't know Jesus you know we're in this place in which we kind of feel there's like kind of this power dynamic I think it's easy to feel like oh I am like helping them I need to tell them something that they don't know and I need to like tell them that and that is what's going to like save them and that's what's going to help them you know I think when I first kind of like started interacting with like kind of like homeless、um, I think. It's really easy to think like that and kind of think like, oh, you know, like they need me, you know.、Um, and sometimes I think like even that encounter that we had, it's like, oh, you know, sometimes it doesn't turn out that way, you know. Like sometimes they don't want to talk to you at all, at all.、Um, sometimes they just like don't want your, like they see it as like pity. They don't want your money. They don't want your food. They don't want to talk with you. They just want to be left alone, right? And I think something that I've learned is just an incredible amount of grace,、um, of just like, hey, you know, I'm doing these things and I'm. Like initiating these conversations, giving money, giving food, not because I necessarily expect anything out of this conversation, but because I want to get to know people, and you know, it's it's a chance for a relationship to be built up.、Um, so I think that's kind of like the expectations that I think I also arm myself with, and also like be thinking about this whole time of just like, hey, you know, like I'm doing this like to help them. It might not necessarily lead to a conversation about Jesus. It might ne- necessarily lead to a really deep conversation at all. Actually, it might be just giving it to them, and they're like, "Okay, thanks," and then like, you go on your way, you know. And I think something I had to ask myself is that is that enough? Am I okay with doing that and like seemingly like in my eyes like not really making a big difference, right?、Um, and I think that for me is just like learning to really trust the story. I think trust that it's not. By my power and not by what I do, that like this will happen.、Um, but it's really through like I think trusting that hey, you know, God has this situation in hand. That God has, if it's not me, maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's later down the line in which I'm just kind of helping him get from along his journey、um, and helping him out in that aspect. Yeah, and I think I like what you said because I think something important to recognize is that 
we when we approach them like we're not necessarily like i think it's really narcissistic to just go in the mindset of, like yo we're like better than them you know because i think something powerful that homeless people kind of have over us is that as weird as it sounds is the fact that they've had so much time to just like reflect on like what's happened in their lives like when you're on the streets i feel like the first thing that just happens in their minds like how how did i get here like so fast you know and mm-hmm. i think I think what's so important about that is like sometimes like homeless people they have something that we can learn from you know and i think when we're busy all the time when we want to like just be productive with our time what's dangerous about that is that sometimes we don't necessarily reflect on just like slow down see like what's happening you know like Mm -hmm. am i in a good spot you know and i think homeless people like they've had an opportunity such an opportunity to just think about like what's happening and i think that's why like when you see those like YouTube videos online of them saying like such like wise things sometimes, I think that's where like wisdom really comes from for most people is when you're able to like just reflect on yourself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Moving on a little bit, um, there's something like more, uh, something unique that um, we think that you do and it's uh, urban exploring. Ah, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> You have climbed safe cold field, right? Word or, in the street. Yeah. Word on the street. Um, mm. If any cops are listening to this, um, that definitely did not happen. <laughs> can, can you tell us a little bit, if you're comfortable, can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Um, yeah, no, of course. Um, so urban exploring, I think this is something that I got into my freshman and sophomore year. I think for um, those who are kind of unfamiliar with it, it's kind of this idea of urban exploration. Um, of kind of going to urban spots um, in which may be legal or illegal um, (laughs) and kind of just exploring. I mean, it's not with the intensive purpose of any destruction or anything like that, but really just to see, to get to places where you normally can't, um, to see, I think, like old or abandoned um, structures or maybe sometimes new structures um, and kind of just like poke around. I yeah I, I I got into this like freshman sophomore year I think I got into climbing I got into exploring I think I was huge like mantra of like oh you know live fast die young um, <laughs> taking big risks um, yeah it was actually pretty crazy because um, I ended up going with one friend and then another friend that we met through a mutual friend and he was it was online it was low key kind of sketch because like we heard from another friend that it's like hey. Um, this, there's this other guy that I know that's also really into urban exploring. You guys should meet and you should like hang out. And so we've been like messaging him and talking about like, oh, you know, what should we climb? What should we like figure out? And then we like met up and it was like, I think I still remember like the first time we met him, it was like 2 a.m. at like this random parking lot, (laughs) like super far off, like again, like super sketchy. Like I was with a friend. Um, so I, and we had our own car driving up. So then we kind of felt okay. Um, but yeah, we met him. It was, it was pretty cool. We actually, even before Safeco Field, we actually ended up, um, breaking into a construction building and (laughs) climbing up a crane. It was the highest crane in Seattle. Um, and that was probably the craziest night of my life just because, um, yeah, lots of cameras and lots of things going on. Um, but we made it. We didn't get caught. Um, nothing happened. Nothing super crazy happened afterwards. Um, and we decided to then from that moment, it's like 3 or 4 a.m., to book it over to Safeco Field and um, climb that structure. Um, I, I made the call just because I feel like 
after that day, I don't know if I'd ever have the guts to like do it again. But at this point, it's like, oh, you know, too much has happened already. Might as well like seal the deal and like um, do everything that needed to be done. Um, but yeah, definitely a really crazy time. Yeah, and you actually almost got caught, right? I saw the video, like, there was a person down there that was, like, waiting for you guys. Like, how'd you get out of that? Yeah, so um, so the crane was fine. There was no issues with that. But um, <laughs> we went to Safeco Field. Basically, the problem was, I think we timed it pretty badly. Um, I think we were a little bit too ambitious in terms of timing. We went to cram two places into one night. So we got to Safeco Field around, like, 5 a.m. And so when we got inside and, like, did all our things, took all our pictures and, like, was on the way out, it was already, like, 6-something. And so at this time, like, cleaners were coming out and, like, cleaning the place, and we, like, freaked out. Um, so basically, once we got into Safeco Field, we um, didn't just, like, hang out on the field, but we actually went all the way up into the rafters. Um, so that's basically where they start shine all the lights um, all the way down on the baseball field, and you kind of, like, see everything that's going on. <laughs> and so we, we got up there, um, and kind of, like, on our way down, we started hearing people kind of, like, above us and then below us of just like workers kind of there's a lot of echoes so we couldn't exactly hear what was going on and so we like freaked out because it's like we were pretty sure that our way down and the way that we came in there were people there or at least there was something there and it was really open i mean this is like a stadium right so it's like there's not really a ton of cover um and we knew we'd get probably into huge trouble so we (laughs) ended up actually going around so we like circumnavigated we went on the outside of the building and kind of like like the edge of like there's it's a free fall on the outside and you hug kind of the stadium and you kind of like circumvent that ring um you kind of like walk along there to a place to the stairs from the stairs you climb down and then you hop off the other way um (laughs) that was our way of getting out and thankfully like nothing happened it was safe like our hearts were like pounding like crazy but like right when we dropped we got all of our stuff down and we were like turning around and like telling each other how crazy of an experience and how we'll never do that again. Like, a security guard, like, came out and, like, asked us, like, hey, like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) And then, like, we froze and we, like, didn't know what to do. And we're, like, pretty sure he didn't see us, like, actually climbing down. Um, So we made some, like, excuse up about, like, oh, we're here for, like, photography. Because we did have cameras. We had, like, video cameras and all those things. And we're, like, we're using this to optimize, you know, the soft lighting and, like, um, early morning light. Um, (laughs) And I'm pretty sure, like, he was sus because it's, like, he did not believe us. But then also, like, he didn't really have a ton of proof either. Um, I don't know. Maybe he was just having, like, a... A, a good day too so he didn't really press us further and it's like oh I, I hope you guys weren't like doing anything you weren't supposed to do and we're like no definitely not officer like we were just taking photos and like <laughs> having fun you know like doing what kids do like how could we even get in you know it's locked it's clearly like the gate is closed like there's no way we fit in <laughs> which was also true uh, <laughs> uh, but, but he let us off and we just like kind of like sped walked and we just didn't say anything until we got to the car and <laughs> then we like started talking about everything that happened um but yeah close call definitely dang like i guess like i want to ask because like for someone like me i don't think i would be like i would have the courage to really just like go up that because i actually saw a picture of you like you or like it was like a video of you just like walking on like the roof of something without any sort of like railing or anything like that and i was Mm. like dude like this dude could die like any second right now like if you just like lost balance or anything like for you do you just like is that just like an adrenaline surge that you just love having or is like where like how do you have the courage to like just do all of that um 
I think part of it is heights have never really scared me. It's kind of ironic because roller coasters are pretty scary for me. I, I don't like that feeling when you fall. Um, I think it's called vertigo. But that, like, I, I hate that. But heights I'm okay with. I'm a climber too, so I do a ro- lot of rock climbing. Like Heights is something I'm pretty familiar with. Um, I think part of it is just like, I know I won't fall. And I, I know that sounds like super cheesy and like, oh, how do you know? And I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. You never really know. Um, but I think the way I see it is like, oh, you know, I'll never fall out of a chair. I mean, maybe I will, but it's like, oh, if I'm sitting on a couch and I'm aware of what's going on, I know I'm not just going to randomly fall off this chair or this couch. Um, and I, I definitely don't do like risky stuff. Like I know on the internet, there's like people literally just hold on to things with one hand or like two hands. I never do stuff like that. So I'm always like, I think I'm pretty safe when I do things. Um, I think things like with like cranings and like buildings, I mean, there are people that work and are on those buildings as part of their occupation. Um, and it's, it's, it's relatively safe. I think a lot of it is like mental game of just like you think you're going to fall off. So then you like, you really trick yourself into doing it. Um, I don't know, but honestly, I should be more careful. I mean, this is why I'm also like, I've retired from this life. Um, this is me back in (laughs) freshman sophomore year. I haven't done anything close to as crazy, like, yeah, nothing like that. The only thing that c- really does come close is like turning in my assignments at in at eleven fifty nine p.m. Um, <laughs> but that 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 about is my riskiest thing that I do now. Is there anything else you would consider climbing, or are you just like done forever? I mean, oh, I definitely still climb rocks. I still do bouldering. I still do like top rope sport climbing. Um, but those are kind of like with safety. You know, it's not illegal. Um, or anything like that. So I, I definitely like climbing is still, I think, a pretty big part of my life. I think I always like to climb things. Um, but yeah, I think unless there's like a really beautiful rooftop, I think rooftops are, I think, are a lot more okay. Just because I think rooftops, you sometimes just get just way better views of, of cities such as like New York. I think that's still my goal to find a secret New York rooftop that's quiet, that you escape all the noise, but also you just kind of get beautiful panoramas. I think the beauty of it, I think as a photographer as well, is something that's really attractive to me. Um, but it's definitely, I think, just risks and the cost of those risks is, to me right now, it's just really not worth it anymore. Um, once you've climbed, I think a couple of things, I think, yeah, it's, <laughs> you get diminishing returns. Yep, you heard it from him. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, coming on, man. Of course.